Will you bow your heads in prayer with me? God, we come to you with uh, thanksgiving, um, asking you to speak to us uh, today, uh, to speak to us through your word. Um, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you, our God and King. Amen. Uh, Friends, we are starting a new sermon series uh, this morning, uh, and it's called Back to the Grind, uh, and exploring different feelings that we might be uh, encountering uh, today. Uh, It's called, so today we're going to be looking at being overwhelmed. Uh, The image that I have in my head when I think about overwhelmed is about drowning. Like, you know, you feel like things are just going out of control, and you're just trying to hang on to it by everything that is there. And everything that you're trying to hang on to is slipping, and you just feel ill-equipped to be, to face the challenges uh, each day. And uh, we just don't have the resources. We just feel like we can't do it. And I want to look at the story of Esther uh, and look at what lessons we can learn when we are feeling overwhelmed uh, by the tasks that are around her. Because when you look at the story of Esther, uh, she was called to advocate for the people, for the Jewish people, and she was fully aware what that would mean for her. She knew that if she did that, that she might die. She was an insignificant, unknown person who became queen to the most powerful man in the known world. But before we kind of dive into the story of Esther, I kind of want to share a little bit about the background of what um, Esther was all about. A little bit of background uh, this morning uh, in what we can learn um, uh, from this story. So here's how the book of Esther starts out. It kind of announces to the reader, that's you and I, who the king was. The king's name is called King Xerxes, uh, and he ruled from India through Egypt. Uh, so that means he pretty much ruled the entire world. Uh, he was a Persian king, and his military might was absolutely extraordinary. And there, in the author speaks of the number of provinces uh, that he ruled over, uh, which is rather impressive. And this is how the book starts. I kind of want you to pay attention to how the story of Esther starts. Esther 1, verse 4. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and the glory of his majesty. When these days were done, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people, from the least to the greatest, who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings and marble pillars. There were couches of gold and of silver, a mosaic pavement, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. I love reading from verse 7. This is my favorite part about this story. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each from a different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Here, King Xerxes is throwing a party. He's displaying his wealth 
for 180 days. It's more than half the year he did this. You know, and then he said, anyone who comes to this party, you can eat all you want, you can drink all you want, and no limits whatsoever. Bartenders cannot cut you off, irrespective of how much you drink, right? That's a good party, right? You all can laugh. It's okay. I'm talking about wine. It's like, honestly. Anyway, uh, right? Think, like, just imagine this, right? Just imagine this guy's power. Like, imagine somebody not doing their responsibilities for six months. And here this king is throwing one party after another after another, right? And there's no one who is descending and saying, what are you doing, king? Stop doing that. There's no one, none of his enemies are trying to come and attack him because his power and might were so great (laughs) that no one could challenge him. And that's where this is about. His might was pretty incredible. This past weekend, I officiated a wedding for a dear friend of ours. He was in my youth group. Um, his bride-to-be, um, now his wife, was part of our family for the past 10 years. And they threw a pretty incredible party. There was food. There was dancing. Needless to say, I was not on the dance floor. Uh, but I move on. But, you know, Sunday came. And tomorrow is Monday. And I'm sure both of them are going to go to work. Right? But King Xerxes threw a party for over six months and then another party seven days later. So during this party, when this party was happening, King had this brilliant idea to bring his queen to the party, to where the party was happening, wearing her crown. He wanted to show off his wife to all his buddies. So So he sends a word saying, Queen, come on over. The king's calling you to come. And she simply says no. I'm not doing that, right? Here's the irony. The most powerful man in the world, right? Throws a party for over six months and then another seven days, calls for his wife to come so that he can show off to his friends and she says, no, right? And this is what the king did when she said no. This is verse 13. I think it's funny. Since it was customary for the king uh, to consult experts in the matter of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and they were close to him and they discussed this matter. Seriously, this guy calls his wife, his wife doesn't come and he goes and talks to his friends about it. How many of you got upset with your wife and complained to your friends instead of your, (laughs) I said, don't raise your hands. (laughs) It's right here. I said, don't raise your hands. right? That's what he did. <laughs> he went and complained to his friends, and his friends got all upset and said, King, you got you to gotta let her go. You, you can't keep her. You can't keep her. Because just imagine if the word got out that your wife didn't obey you, they come to say that every woman in the kingdom will not obey their husbands. You got to let her go. Someone said, amen. Did my wife say amen? <laughs> anyway, so King gets rid of his wife, and uh, they start a search for a new queen. I think this was the first time um, ABC series The Bachelor got started right here. (laughs) There were 400 women that were brought from all over the known world, 
And each week, somebody was sent back, and somebody was sent back, and Esther found favor. Esther found favor. She got the rose. And before I talk about Esther, um, I want to pause and talk about a little bit of a background story of somebody else that's connected to the story of Esther, and that is Mordecai. Uh, Mordecai, in this um, scripture, does not call him a righteous man. It just kind of says Mordecai, Esther's uncle. But Esther's, um, Mordecai was one of those individuals who was enslaved by the Babylonians, taken away from his home to a foreign land, and he was living in the land of Persia at this time. And when he was living there, his niece lost both her parents. Esther's parents had died, and Mordecai began to care for Esther. Mordecai began to care for Esther and raise her. And when Esther goes up, as picked up as one of the 400 women to be king's new queen, he tells her, don't reveal your identity, that you are a Jewish person. I think he was a wise man as well. And as Esther entered this contest to be the next queen, she found favor of the person who was caring, who was in charge of caring for the queen. The scriptures um, tell us that she won the favor of those around her. And because she found the favor of those around her, she got special treatment. And this is something I kind of want us to pause and think about when you think about the life of Esther, especially when we are feeling overwhelmed and we feel like we can't do it anymore. I kind of want us to look at the backstory of Esther and kind of like find your story within that. See, Esther, God was present in Esther's life all through. Even when she lost her parents, even when she was an enslaved girl living in a foreign land, God was still present in the background. So when we are feeling overwhelmed and when we feel like we can't do it anymore, I want us to think about how God's hand has been in your life over the years. How God might have guided you and brought you through. In Esther 2.17, this is what we read. And the, now the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman. And she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her king, queen. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with loyal liberality. Right? God was still with Esther all through those years and had brought her there. And quite honestly, I think the honeymoon for Esther ended quite quickly. It was pretty instantaneous. What had happened was there was a man named Haman was given a lot of honor in the kingdom. He, was, he kind of became best friends with the king. And everyone, when Haman walks around, there was a decree that everyone should bow down and care for him. But Mordecai didn't do it. Because Mordecai believed in worshiping the living God alone. And when Haman heard about this, he was enraged with anger. He was so filled with anger that he not only wanted to kill Haman, a Mordecai, but he wanted to kill all the Jews in the region. That's how the plot starts. 
just because Mordecai did something wrong towards Haman. That's how it was perceived. And Haman wanted to destroy all the Jewish people. They wanted to just get rid of them. When this happens, there is, when this kind of hatred is displayed, there is no reasoning. It is pure evil. It is not against an individual, but rather it is against a whole community, against a whole group of people. When we begin to do that, we say the problem is those people. If we get rid of those people, we will be better off. Those in power try to destroy these people. If you just kill them all, women, children, men, grandparents, we will all be better. This is absolute hatred and evil. They want to just kill all the Jews. And this, in our recent history, this has been true as well. When Hitler tried to kill all the Jews, he poisoned his people and told them to eradicate all the Jews from Germany. Young and old, rich or poor, they were all sentenced to death just because of their heritage. As I was getting ready for this sermon, I read an article that read this way. Anti-Semitism is... Um, Anti-Semitism. People are shouting death to the Jews. A Jewish-owned pharmacy was set on fire. Synagogues are burning in Germany. Jews are migrating from Europe, leaving their homes and jobs. When do you think this article might have been published? Sounds a whole lot like early, mid-1930s or 1940s. But this article was written in 2014. In 2018, we saw at the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh. We've seen this over and over again, Jews being targeted. And in the story of Esther, it's no different. Jews face an existential threat. They face an existential threat, all because Haman was insecure and felt like he was disrespected by Mordecai. So Haman goes to the king and convinces him to kill all the Jews. And this is what we read. <clears throat> Dispatches were sent out by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, annihilate the Jews, young and old, women and children. On a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month and the month of Adar and the plunder of their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province, province made known people from every nationality so they would be ready for that day. Couriers went out spurred by the king's command and the edict was issued in Citadel of Susa. And listen to this. And the king, the king and Haman sat down to drink but the city was bewildered. See the irony here? Those in power are at peace while the entire nation is in an uproar. So Mordecai moans. Mordecai falls down and begins to cry. And this is what we read, um, what Mordecai did. Mordecai told everything that happened to him 
including the exact amount of money Haman promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa to show Esther and explained to her, he told him to instruct her to go to the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Mordecai refused to be comforted. Friends, when things are wrong, when things are not right, do you sit still or do you cry and pray and advocate for God's people? And then Mordecai, Esther sends a word back to Mordecai saying that she cannot go before the king unless the king calls her, unless the king summons her. And she says, it's the law. If you just show up and try to talk to the king, you will be killed. You will be put to death. You will be put to death. And this is what Mordecai responds to her. He sent back with this answer. Don't think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Who knows that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Friends, sometimes when we feel overwhelmed and when we feel like giving up, when we feel like we are not equipped to handle what is before us, when we are feeling like that, I want to hear the words from the Holy Scripture. Maybe God has placed you for such a time as this. Maybe God has placed you to lead at a time as this. Whatever the task that is before you, maybe that task is placed before you for such a time as this. And when Esther hears those words, she says to them, go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. And I and my attendants will do the same. When this is done, I will go before the king. One of the things that we are called to do when we feel overwhelmed by the task that's ahead of us is to pray. We are called to go before God and pray, seek God's face in the midst of it. Because sometimes we think about strategizing and different things, but if it doesn't start with prayer, we are lost. Friends, this morning, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know if your challenges are too big to handle and you're overwhelmed. And I want to remind you of the story of Esther. I want to remind each one of you who's facing a mountain that God has been working in your life. God has been moving in your life, putting you in places, putting people in your life to care for you. And the challenge you're about to face is for such a time as this. For this time, God is calling you to seek his face. And the story goes on to say that Esther still finds a way, finds the courage to go before the king. She goes before the king and advocates for her people.
and Haman, who wanted to hang Mordecai, is actually the one who's killed in the end. And the Jews are delivered, all because an insignificant enslaved girl living in a foreign land who was orphaned was willing to stand up, was willing to pray. Maybe God is calling you to do something today. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we ask you uh, to be with us in our seasons when we feel overwhelmed by the task that is ahead of us. Help us to remember the story of Esther and all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.